You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, Keith. Johnson. On the AfterBuzz studios in Los Angeles, California, and streaming live on Ustream. This is AfterBuzz TV for Boardwalk Empire. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest Boardwalk Empire news and gossip. If you'd like to buzz in on tonight's show, you can buzz us at 424-256-1729. That's 424-256-1729. And now, picking up where the show leaves off and the buzz continues... It's AfterBuzz TV for Boardwalk Empire. Hello, Boardwalk Empire fans. Kevin Undergaro here for Season 2, Episode 3, A Dangerous Maid. Uh, our apologies for uh, broadcasting this so late. I know we aired... Actually, this aired two, Sunday, where it's Tuesday that we're doing the show. We apologize. We're usually a lot faster with our turnaround. We were at the John Lovitz Comedy Club doing the season four finale of Breaking Bad live with the cast of Breaking Bad. And it more or less knocked the wind out of us, didn't it, Jesse? Absolutely. But in a good way, in a good way. We, it was a great production, and we're looking forward to doing many more. And with any luck, geez, I'd love to see us doing Boardwalk uh, up there at some point. Anyway, I apologize for coming in so late, and I also apologize that I'm alone. Unfortunately, you will not have John Comerford. You will not have uh, Paul Ashton. Uh, you will not have Bethany Jaber. You will not have some of our Boardwalk Empire experts. You're left with little old me. Anyway, I love this episode and I love this show. And one of the difficult things I find about hosting this show is the fact that there's just so much. This is so rich, this show. It's so rich with information, so rich with characters. Um, but yet, it all ties together very nicely and it all fits. And I enjoyed so much, and I'm so grateful that now that Breaking Bad is done, I can turn over to this. Needless to say, let's start with talking about good old Van Alden and Lucy. We end up opening on them, and we have Van Alden now who is obsessed with delivering this baby. I'm sure to be able to give to his wife who could not be impregnated, we know from season one, or at least it was difficult for them. And we see Lucy, who is cooped up in a time without television people, but also without a radio, without a record player, just sitting there alone all day long. And we see her pregnant, drinking and smoking, which, of course, we know women did into the 70, 1970s. Um, but certainly, it's not only normal for women to do it back then, but I think also the writers were really showing us just how miserable she is and how disconnected she is from the baby that's growing inside her. Uh, it's interesting. She gets a visit from Eddie Cantor. And if any of you people know it, whether you know it or not, Eddie Cantor was a real-life American singer. Um, I believe died... I should I should look this up. I think, think he died in the early 60s. But uh, was around during the Jolson times. And I, I just love... 
how this show uses true life figures and weaves them in. And I know they say that they, they say just loosely based on because I think they want the freedom to be able to play around with them. Um, but so far they've been loose to the point of entertainment, but not so loose that someone who is supposed to die doesn't or is supposed to live doesn't. And anyway, I enjoy that. And I think, I think other audience pe- members do as well. So we see Eddie Cantor, he comes in and wants to bring her back to Broadway um, or vaudeville and gives her a script and she starts reading the script. And of course, Van Alden's not going to have this. Um, and we know why. He's, uh, he's very Bible belt and this is just blasphemous in some way uh, that he sees. But it's interesting. He does... He does respond to one thing she says when she says, you know, you're not, Nucky was fun. You know, he's, and this really strikes a chord in him. Um, he's obsessed with Nucky, but I'd like to think it's, it's his obsession with Margaret. And when he asked that question, because we know Nucky and Margaret, he knows Nucky and Margaret are together. It's just interesting uh, that he wants to know know why she likes Nucky and of course we know it's fun and the payoff is he ends up it seems like he ends up buying her a record player so that at very least her Victrola she can listen to music and we see her almost about to throw herself down a set of stairs to get rid of the baby when um, the Victrola delivery man comes uh, saving the baby and anesthetizing her hopefully for future episodes and to, and to have this baby. But it was just very, I felt it was very interesting. Um, and speaking of Van Alden, when he goes and meets with Doyle, who it just has played so well, he's just such a creep with that, uh, that little chuckle that he does under his breath uh, at the end of many of his sentences. And it looks like he's, he's buying contacts off of him uh, to continue to break his case. And while he's there giving this this guy money, he also he 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 while he's being somewhat corrupt in his actions, he makes it very clear that he will bust Doyle if Doyle's involved in trying to sell him alcohol. And Doyle refers to a picture on the wall of a beautiful girl that he notices. Um, Van Alden Van Alden is uh, looking at, and. It just brings up a great line, I thought, from Duffy, where he says to him, uh, he's like, I can't get a read on you, cop. And I think that says it all. You know, there's a there's a, a such a duality to Van Alden. You know, this guy that's whipping himself on the back uh, over the fact he has impure thoughts, and yet, at the same time... Um, lusts after other women outside his marriage. It's very interesting. And I think it's, uh, it's, I, I, I love these two characters and I, and you know, to take a step back, I love all the characters on this show. You know what? I also do the Dexter after show and I love Dexter, but one of my problems with Dexter is that some of the, the B characters, the supporting characters don't actually support Dexter's story. And that's when I kind of, they lose me. Whereas the better shows, Breaking Bad, or the better characters on Dexter, and the and the 
better shows like this one, all of these characters, I feel, in some way affect what's going on with Nucky. And they do it in such a great way. Speaking of which, the New York gang. When we go to New York, we see uh, real-life historical characters uh, and Lucky Luciano, who this season they're calling Charlie. And I don't know why. I don't know if that's maybe because he wasn't known as Lucky at that time uh, or his friends called him Charlie or if they're they're trying to maybe divorce themselves a little bit from Lucky so they have more freedom in terms of writing, uh, which I hope they don't do. Lucky... There's enough with Lucky Luciano's life to play with and have fun. We also see a very young Meyer Lansky, and we see Arnold Rothstein, who uh, we see is is a, a great uh, businessman on his own right and more of a white-collar gangster. And they're meeting with a character, Missaria, and we see the struggle for power taking place. We see a very young Lucky Luciani and again, a very young Meyer Lansky. You know, these guys are in their early 20s and they're very early in their gang, in their, like, their gangster careers. I mean, these guys, uh, both those characters lived, I believe, into, I know uh, Meyer lived into his into the early 1970s. Uh, Lucky, I know, went pretty far as well, lived out the remainder of his days in Sicily. But, very early in these guys' careers. So you see where they have to get bitch slapped and, and, and they have to pay out 50% to Rothstein and 10% to this other guy, Missaria. But it's very interesting where Missaria says in Italian, these two, why are you doing business with these two Christ killers? Uh, and of course, he, the kid responds by saying, you know, because if I did business with you, you'd just steal from me in his own way. And I think it's really cool. And, 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 it, it's it's cool that that character would would take that stance. It's also cool that historically, that's what happened. These, uh, you know, with with Lucky, uh, he and Meyer had a had a very very strong bond, and a lot of people say it was Meyer who really helped Lucky develop his skills. S K I L L Z, uh, and I, and again, I think I love all this. I love the fact that there's a historical accuracy that these these guys play around with, and I love that. We're seeing these guys um, in their baby years, which is very cool. Uh, I know Rothstein's not in his baby years, but um, I'm sure at some point, you know, Rothstein in real life had a comeuppance, and I don't want to give too much away. You you can look it up for yourself if you'd like. Uh, I don't know if we'll see it within the series. I'm assuming we will. But I love seeing these young characters in the years we may not have known them. And... We see this no more clearly than with Al Capone. We see a young, raw Al Capone who is just kind of a dumb thug. And it's perfect because Capone has always been portrayed by Hollywood, or in most cases, as something more than he was, which from anyway, from my my from what I've read about him in history, is that he was just a dumb ape and a thug, and a very violent, violent man. And seeing him so young, we're seeing this. And seeing him, uh, you know, visit Nucky, and hand Nucky that very thin envelope, um, and eventually go over to Jimmy, you know, we see the differences between the two men. We see with Al being this young kind of thug who's trying to find his way, and then we see Jimmy who's also trying to find his way in the business, but yet 
his his uh, we're seeing him get manicures. We're seeing him groomed by the Commodore, groomed by Nucky. We're even seeing him questioning whether or not uh, a simple life is a better life for him. But obviously with Capone, we see Capone, there's no question. He, uh, being a barber as Capone's dad, what dad we learn was, um, was a chump's life. And the gangster life is the way to go. But it's interesting, they keep, uh, they keep harping on Al Capone. It seems like looking at Jimmy and looking at Jimmy's relationship with his son. And that's a callback to season one where Al's son seemed to be a special needs son of some kind. Um, I believe it was deaf. And I, and I apologize. I should have looked that up. Um, and we see it bothers, it bothers Al Capone when he sees it, uh, this going on with the kid. But again, I, I love seeing Capone come in. I, I like seeing his growth as well. And, you know, normally it, it would seem as though getting us too far away from Nucky, like to Chicago or whatever, would be upsetting. But to me, I think it's fantastic, and I think, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of our fans agree. And I'm excited to see him progress uh, with Johnny Torrio and, and as this goes on. Hopefully they'll take it slow, you know, and hopefully we'll be doing this for nine or ten seasons because, again, I just adore this show. Um, but... Uh, to sidetrack, I, I I get nervous because I see how much money they're spending in characters and costume and locations. Yes, they do a lot of CG, um, a lot of special effects to make a lot of that work, but a lot of those are just different sets, and it, it's got a cost. Um, and so I just just hope HBO keeps forking out the dollars to do this, or and I hope they don't pull a dead word on us. And I, I don't think they will because of Wahlberg, Scorsese, um, and Buscemi. Uh, we're bigger than the good people at Deadwood, but at the same time, it's 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 scary because I see they're putting a lot of money out there. We're really really spoiled. Um, anyway, getting back to what's going on, uh, you know, speaking of Jimmy, um, it's interesting when he saw Capone. I think he was initially nervous that this guy was in his house because Jimmy's so sharp that he knows. Capone's a thug. I think he feels as though he's just a necessary evil he has to deal with. But I think he knows who he's dealing with at the end of the day. So it's interesting, the actor, you know, Michael Pitt, I think played it very well. You know, his first reaction was like, oh my God, what is this thug doing with my child and my wife? And then, you know, he plays, uh, he's able to get playful and kind of go down to his level with a wrestling match and play along with him. But, you know, speaking of the similarities between the characters, it was, you know, uh, and yet the differences, uh, Capone says it himself, like, you know, ain't it funny, you know, you married a, you know, you married a Dago and I married a Mick. And again, if you don't know, it's that slang for, uh, Dago is slang for Italian and, um, Mick is slang for Irish. And we know Jimmy has married an Italian girl who, uh, we see has all sorts of troubles stemming from her lesbian relationship or her relationship with that other photography couple season one uh her distance from jimmy with the war and now having to settle into this role as a mother just kind of going through the process and she's almost it seems like someone who's attending a funeral where she's just she's trying her best to be there for him but it's so hard because they've got jillian Jimmy's very, very young and very, very gorgeous mother living there, uh, and a lady who 
you know, had her innocence snuffed out at a very young age and who's kind of seen it all and, and therefore is very, very, very shrewd and shrewd beyond her years. And then the fact that she's got this weird, almost sexual relationship with her son. So it's very off-putting. And even when the, you know, the wife tries to be there for Jimmy and, you know, when he brings up when he's talking to uh, Jillian, his mother, as his nails are getting done, of all things, the mother, I think, symbolically is grooming him uh, for the role that he's about to take, which is basically being filling the Commodore's shoes. And she says now she's forgiven the Commodore, and it makes him say, well, geez, why wouldn't I forgive Nucky then? And I think that is kind of the crack in the foundation that is going to eventually bring Nucky and... Jimmy back together, which will ultimately redeem, help Nucky redeem himself through 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 uh, everything he's in, enduring. But it was interesting. The wife overhears this and says, "Why? Why is Nucky forgive Nucky for what?" And it's like you could see she's almost like extending herself to be there, and he shuts her right off. Um, the relationship I think he the, he should be having with this with his wife, he's actually having with his mom. And we see that's going to be, we're going to be seeing more and more of that as it goes on. I had kind of thought that the character uh, of Jillian would side with Nucky, but I see that um, she's going where the money is, and she's she's putting her money on the Commodore. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I think uh, I could when we get to predictions, we can talk about. Uh, where we think that's headed. But in the meantime, it was interesting that the wife, at the at the end of Jimmy's character arc in this episode, where he ends up going at Nucky, and Nucky goes at him, he goes home and says, I'm, uh, I'm struggling with my two fathers, which I think was a very big admission. I mean, he's admitting to himself that, that Nucky is, in fact, may not be his biological father, but symbolically, it is his father. And again, I think this is another step toward healing their relationship. But it was interesting that the wife was actually there to console him, and he took that consolation. So hopefully there's some hope on the horizon, the horizon for their relationship. Uh, speaking of the Commodore, him and his uh, dyed brown hair, he's just out and about and, and really making things happen. We know he controls the Coast Guard, so therefore he's controlling the alcohol that's coming in. But we see he doesn't have all the power he wants. And I just love the scene where he sat down with uh, this character by the name of Bill McCoy, who was a liquor man, but got his start in the halibut motor oil business. And I, I can't help but think that that's not some kind of callback to Halliburton and oil over in Iraq or, you know, Afghanistan. I can't help but think there's, there isn't some, not Not that Bill McCoy is Dick Cheney or anything by any stretch of the imagination. Um but I do feel that the writers have a lot of fun in making us very much aware that what went on then could very easily go on now. You know, we, we heard from Rothstein last season, gentlemen, we are entering into the information age. And uh, where are we in now? We're in the information age here in, in 2011. And so we're seeing all these little callbacks. And I can't help but think, I just I had to write that down. I can't help but think that the halibut motor oil, there isn't some kind of callback. Anyway, fun as that was for me to pick up, I like the idea that Bill McCoy 
was essentially standing by Nucky. Um, and though Jimmy handled himself very well and the commoner handled himself well, Bill McCoy wasn't going to play ball so easily. So it's interesting. It's not going to be that easy of a road for the commoner. Um, and then, of course, we see the commoner at his restaurant, and he's sitting with the governor. And, of course, it's just so great how everyone's just corrupt. Everyone's just drinking. Um, and there's this governor who's just happy as hell to get paid. Um, and, of course, what's going to happen next is a confrontation with Nucky. But before we get into that, let's talk about what's going on in the Nucky universe. Um, we have Brother Eli with the father. And the father, although we see him as this cantankerous old man, we've known him as always talking to his two kids like they're, quote, knuckleheads. We see at the end of the day he's still a father and he loves them. And he's very concerned what's going on with Nucky, and he sees the newspaper article. And he brings the brother in and says, he doesn't know what he's doing. You have to take care of him. And it really puts Eli in a weird spot because obviously Eli's the one who's putting the shivs in him. Uh, but there had to be what I think had to make Eli think wasn't just the fact that the father said that, but that the fact that the father said that Nucky screw, screws everything up, he needs you. And that had to somewhat empower Eli because Eli always feels like he's getting the short end of the stick and that Nucky gets all the credit and he's the big brother, yada, yada, yada. I think that had to make him think twice about what he's doing. So I just thought it was very interesting. I thought it was interesting too that, and very, very believable that here's this Irish father who just is always hammering these two kids, but at the end of the day, he's still the father and loves them very much. Um, in that universe, of course, we have Margaret and uh, beautiful Margaret who is there for Nucky, uh, willing to sell all of her stuff just to help ends meet. And, of course, Nucky won't have it. A, he won't have it, I think, because he loves her and he's he doesn't want her to go without. But I think, B, he's such a smart businessman. He knows you don't ever want to show... Uh, you don't want to show your competition or even the people you're doing business with that you're down because that's when people take advantage of you or people don't respect you or don't want to do business with you. So a little bit of lesson in life. Uh, it's funny. Um, you know, a friend of mine who's almost a billionaire, his dad who started this giant company and I think is in his 90s now, um, I always pick his brain about the depression. I talk to him about this show a lot too, which he loves. But, you know, he was saying that the smarter guys after the Depression were the ones who didn't go and sell their Rolls Royces, who didn't go and sell their cars, who didn't sell their furs, who didn't sell their jewelry, but were able to keep up that facade. They were the smarter ones because that was necessary to, you know, never let, never let them see you sweat, so to speak. Um, but as the episode, as, as Margaret's story unfolds, we see we get a letter from... Um, an agency revealing that she has three family members. This is very upsetting to her. And throughout the episode, we're seeing a lot of her maid and the maid staff, and we're seeing her relationship with them. We see she's grown from very quickly from being this kind of poor Irish last victim to this matron of the house. And she handles the role very well. But it's interesting. We're continually seeing this maid. And obviously um, uh, the title of the show is a dangerous maid, but, Unbeknownst to me, 
And I don't know about you as the viewers, I didn't know that there was going to be any giant payoff with the maid, but we're seeing her with the staff and we're hearing that she's very upset uh, about this, about these family members. And she talks to Nucky about it and says, I had a bit of a falling out with them. And I thought Nucky would say, let's work it out with them. But he says, let's just, I want to take you away to Paris. I want to, I want to show you a good life and, and, and get you, kind of get you away from this. Just, it shows that's kind of, I buy that. I think by that, that's who Nucky is. He's not going to get so deep to have a big, like, powwow family meeting with her. But he would say, no, let's just get your mind off it. But something, something, whatever went on in Ireland or with her family is very troubling to her. And as the episode progresses, we find out that um, one of the members of the family is dead, which upsets her more. And she sits with the, the maid staff, which is in the basement of, of and, and, I, and again, when I see these structures, um, I'm sure many of them are sets, but I'd like to believe in my heart that um, structures like this still exist. And I, and I could only imagine how wonderful it would be to live in like a mansion like this uh, on the ocean. Um, but they're in the basement of this mansion and you can tell it's a mansion because the basement's so big and the ceilings are so high and they're all down there just, uh, drinking and she joins them, tells them to kind of drop their guard and let them have a few drinks. And so, so they do. And the maids are still very guarded and she tells, uh, the one, a pretty maid and I, I'm sorry, her character name escapes me, but I'll have it next week because she's obviously going to be a major uh, part of the series now. And I kind of knew she was by the look she was giving. Um, Nucky's new right-hand man, um, that she was going to be much more than 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 just a um, uh, a one-off or just a, a background player. Well, you know, it seems maybe Margaret says a little too much to her because this maid at the end of the episode surmises that Margaret is actually. Peggy, and let me look at my notes and see if I actually have the name. There is it, and we know she's we know her as Margaret Schroeder, but uh, she said you're Peggy something. I'm so sorry, I don't have the name anyway. But don't worry, I won't tell. So we know this a mad secret that Margaret's holding, but it's interesting. Margaret's response that will be all, and. As I've always said, with the great shows, you have to look for the double, even triple entendres with these lines. You know, the the subtext of these lines. That they never t- with great writing, you never take it at face value. So that'll be all. You can read between the lines of what that means. That'll be all. I don't want to hear of that. That'll be all for the night, of course, on the surface. But I don't want to hear that again. Or that'll be all from you. Period. Or that'll be all about my past. Period. I mean, it's just. Something, but we know that the plot, the proverbial thought is going to, plot is going to thicken. And this this is going to somehow end up being more pressure on Nucky. Um, but it's interesting. It may reveal more about, about Margaret. And it may tell us why she is so able to fill the shoes she's filling now. Why it was such an easy transition for her to go from poor Irish last victim to matron of the house and kind of a uh, symbolic consigliere of sorts uh, slash advisor to Nucky. So I'm looking forward to seeing more revealed on that front. But 
getting into more, uh, getting even closer to Nucky and his his business, we see the emergence of this um, the young Irishman. And again, I I apologize. We went right up to studio after viewing. I can't seem to get the actor's name or the character's name. Young, handsome Irishman that is going to be the new strong arm for Nucky. We he's a bar back now, but at the casino, and but there it's like he he's not fulfilling what he feels would be his greatest role to Nucky, and basically says you need my protection and I'd like to offer it. And of course, we know although Nucky doesn't want to acknowledge that, we know he really does need the help. Um. And we see that he's going to be quite formidable. Um, and we see this when he confronts Richard, a.k.a. the Tin Man, when when Richard the Tin Man is selling the Commodore's booze to a casino that's under contract to Nucky. And I loved this standoff between them. You know, Nucky's right-hand man against Jimmy's right-hand man, the Tin Man. And it was great. We see the Irishman handle the two thugs with no problem, and then guns get drawn between he and Richard the Tin Man. But it's interesting. He says to the Tin Man, why didn't you shoot me? You could have. And this is from Richard, who earlier in the episode I thought was very interesting when he was talking to Al Capone. First of all, he asked about the girl at the brothel. It was probably the only girl to give him any kind of real attention with his condition. And, of course, Capone being the thug goes, she's a whore. Just kind of shuts him right off. So anytime this poor character gets any humanity, she shuts it off. But it's also interesting when they say, what are you going to do about Nucky? And Jimmy talks about a political coup. And, of course, Capone is confused. And he's like, we're just going to... We're going to... we're going to run him out of town and, and get him arrested. And Capone being a thug is like, why don't you just kill him? It's very interesting. Richard Timmon goes, I won't do that. Now, part of that mean maybe is because he knows the bond between, the true bond between Jimmy and Al and Nucky. And part of it is because he senses a goodness in Nucky. And, but either way, we know he has his own conscience, which is great. He's not a mercenary. He's not... Um, someone's going to follow blindly. He's his own man. And it's interesting when the Irishman confronts uh, the Tin Man and says, did you get that in the war? And there's almost like a little respect for just right there in that exchange because we can see they've both been warriors. And he says, and the Irishman says to him, who are you fighting for now? So it's just very interesting that something within that exchange made the Tin Man think long enough to not do anything. And who knows? It might just be because he feels some kind of loyalty to Nucky. Maybe he loves Margaret Shorter and those kids and doesn't want to see them orphaned. It's just something there. So he hesitates, and they have a standoff. But it's nice to know Nucky's going to have some reinforcement, and it's nice to know that Richard the Tin Man has his own has his own head. Uh, and I think it's great because I, I love, love the character. And in case you're wondering, that's what they would have done is they would have fashioned some kind of tin plate to someone's face, which again, I think is just, um, I just get so excited when I see when they, when they, uh, 
when they take these chances and do these things, but to bring characters like this to life. Okay, finally getting down to poor Nucky. Um, he reaches out to the Attorney General, and if you recall the Attorney General, he helped the Attorney General and Warren Harding, more our president at the time, get into office. He squashed... Um, he squashed what would have been a huge scandal um, to get Harding elected. And I know we've talked about it in seasons past, but Harding was is is known as the most corrupt um, and the lamest president that we've ever had, maybe until recent ones. Um, but certainly, uh, I'd say before, oh, 2000. <laughs> um, anyhow, it's interesting, and it's played so well by a friend of mine, Chris McDonald, who is in my movie serial buddies. It's just, he's spectacular and it's interesting he's sitting there talking to nucky and during the prohibition era he's ordering people around for where to put the wine oh don't put the wine on the heater it's gonna it'll go bad come on what are you doing um was it but i'd like to look into why he said the white house had to be fumigated i'd like to look into why i'm sure there's some historical accuracy as to why but again i'm sure Symbolism-wise, I think it's cleaning out the old ways, and it's like there's a new sheriff in town there, which, you know, it became, as what we know in history, it just became the party White House, where where all they did was just kind of party and do nothing and just be corrupt. He, Nucky, needless to say, Nucky, Nucky reaches out for his help. He can't provide the help at this time. As he said, you know, let, let, my, uh, let me unpack my socks. You know, and it's, again, great symbolism, socks, feet, getting your foot in the ground. I mean, uh, get your footing, all these different things, you know, come to mind with a line like that. Lucky throws the phone down. You know, he basically says, okay, well, I'm in jail. And he throws the phone down. But it's so interesting with Kessler, his uh, Polish manservant. I just love how, again, even though he takes a lot of Nucky's crap, he's, he's very loyal, but he also has his own... He also has a head on his shoulders as well. He doesn't just go blindly because he says, um, get rid of the phone. It's off the hook. I don't want any calls. Leave it off the hook. And he completely ignores him because later on he tells him he has a call. Uh, And I love that. Again, I just, I love these characters. Well, you know, we're going to see Nucky and we've talked about Nucky and Margaret, but he decides let's go to dinner, Margaret. You know, it's all coming down on me. Um, but at least let's go out and have a bite to eat. And, well, they go out for their bite to eat with the mayor and uh, his wife, and sure enough, there's the Commodore, Jimmy, and the governor. And uh, the girl who's, you know, running the place, um, the hostess, is like, wait, 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 back off, back off. You know, you, she can see she's uncomfortable knowing that there's heat between the Commodore and Nucky. And Nucky's like, no, I'm fine. And so they sit, and it's very tense. It's very uncomfortable for them. And all it takes is for Margaret to order lobster and for, for there to be no lobster. And Margaret puts on this really sad face. And Nucky looks across the room, and there's the commoner about to devour this giant lobster. And over marches Nucky uh, to confront him. And I loved it. I thought this scene was amazing. And he throws the... He said, this is the last meal you're going to have in this place. And he throws the lobster on the ground and he spells it out to Jimmy. He, he says, you know, you want to know he, what he said about your mother basically is like, yeah, just give me that one over there. He didn't even call her by name. 
And the commoner's coaching him back. Look him in the eye, boy, which he does. Um, and when it's about to get violent between the two of them, the commoner stops him, says, that's not how we handle business. And he sits down. But it was a great scene because it was great to see Nucky stand his ground and kind of, I've been from, I, I uh, make no apologies for it. I've been rooting for Nucky since day one. And I think a lot of people are. And so I'm rooting for him to kind of get his footing back and make his comeback. And I think this was the first step. And he takes his wife out and he says, that's the last time I want to see you unhappy. Um, so it's just very nice. And, you know, from that moment on, we are set up for um, the war between the Commodore, Jimmy, Eli versus Nucky to get uh, a lot bigger and uh, a lot crazier, I'm sure. I mean, we're early on, people. This is episode three. So I can only imagine what the next nine are going to be like. Um, I'm very excited. Uh, Let's just do a commercial and then we'll do predictions and we'll take us out. Want to find out what the after buzz is about? Janice is a drama queen. This is the divide that is going to carry the series. Give us a call. 424-256-1729. This television and they want it to be as dramatic as possible. I mean, it's Shakespearean. You never know what goes on behind closed doors. Find out why After Buzz TV is the number one source for after show content. Now, in the eyes of Jimmy... Nucky is a villain. 424 256 1729. 424 256 1729. I mean, who would you guys rather hear that from? Your husband or your best friend? <laughs> the wig, the wig. Oh, come on, that wig. When the TV show is over, get your after buzz on. Yes, get your after buzz on. Okay, Jess, let's go to predictions. And now, your after buzz TV Predictions. <laughs> uh, I don't know, it still makes me laugh after all these shows we've done. I said I'm going to get, now that it's Halloween, I think it only is right to switch it to like a jingle for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, we should, right? To make a, yeah, I wonder what, what Sir Richard Wentworth was thinking when he created that. Yeah, just madness, right? I love it. Anyway, well, I'm predicting we're going to uh, have another very thick and very full episode uh, next week. I'm so sorry. Our DVR cut off, Jesse, uh, for the um, scenes from next week. So, you know, many times on these shows, as these shows progress, I notice with the predictions, they get more and more cryptic. It's almost like they don't want you to know. They want you to go to the website where they'll have an expanded one. Um I noticed with That's the smart marketing. Smart marketing, absolutely. I noticed with the Sopranos, early on, the scenes from next week were very accurate, like when they did it. But then by season two and three, they became more and more cryptic. So you had no idea what was going on. So it's hard to hold a lot of stock in these. Um, I just, I think it's it's typical of what what I can say is I believe things will get worse for Nucky before they get better. Um, if you've heard my other podcast, you know, especially with Breaking Bad, I talk about that um, in filmmaking, you know, your, your protagonist 
in your general screenplay format, you know, you 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 want to put him through a lot of shit. Basically, that's what is going to bring out his true character. Um, but the more you put on him, and the more you intensify that as the as the his story or journey goes, generally the better the the overall story will be. And you have to bring him basically to his knees or even lower than that if that's possible right before the end when ultimately he'll get his, his redemption. Um, and it's standard in, in screenwriting, but I also think it's standard in storytelling. And we just got through seeing this in Breaking Bad. And I was saying to my other hosts all along, don't worry, uh, you know, seeing the main character on that show, Walter White, be raked over the coals for the 12, I think, episodes until that 13th one. Um, I'm sure, not sure if it was 12 or 13 was the last one. And then the last one took him to the end of the um, episode, but finally he was able to redeem himself. And I feel as though with Nucky, we're going to see the same thing. I feel like with Nucky, we're, we are going to see him go through a lot, of, a lot more turmoil. I think a lot more uh, stress is going to be thrown at him. And I think ultimately it'll come down to him against the Commodore at the end. And I'm, I, I, you know, I hope I'm not giving anything away, but I, it's just a prediction. I think he will ultimately best the Commodore. And by next season, there'll be another nemesis. And I think that's the other thing too with a lot of these cable shows. And I think it started with the Sopranos, where every season had a nemesis. And, you know, when, when Tony Soprano would best that nemesis, a new one would develop for the second season. And I've seen this with, with Dexter. I've seen this with uh, Deadwood and just so many of these shows. It seems like there's always one really strong antagonist that, that they do per season. And for us now, it's the Commodore. And I feel as though... Nucky will have to take a lot more crap from him along the way. And I feel he will ultimately defeat him by the end of this. And then that will set us up for probably, who knows? It could be Capone. It could be Rothstein, um, Luciano. I mean, we have, with New York and Chicago, we are ripe for uh, more supervillains and for many, many more seasons. But Jess... I think that's all for one guy. Did I bore you? Not at all, sir. Yeah, you were bored, Jesse. Come on, you don't watch this show. Well, now, hey, now I know all about it. Now you know all about it, right? From producers Kevin Undergaro and Phil Svitek, engineer DJ Jesse Janity, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. If you have questions or comments, be sure to buzz us at info at AfterBuzzTV.com. And you can find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter by searching for AfterBuzzTV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzzTV or its owners or principals. 